You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello and welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, your trusted source for all things San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Floor. Joining me as always is Editor-in-Chief of San Jose Hockey Now and NBC Sports affiliate, Shang Peng. Shang, how you doing? Very good, man. Good, good, good. I've been seeing your uh, couple of your, your posts or your articles being promoted by NBC Sports and he gets a little excited. I see the numbers go up there. It's just, you know, a little <laughs> proud moment for myself. Just wanted to say congrats on that again. Thank you. And since I'm mentioning that, Shang, you have some some news really quick for the listeners. Uh, we wanted to start this off with a, a positive note. Shang, what do you got going on for uh, the game? Everyone's going to be listening to this on Thursday. What do you got going on for the game or pregame, I should say? I'm scheduled to be making my first appearance on Sharks pregame live. Uh, so uh, wish me luck. I haven't recorded it yet. It's going to be a pre-recorded. It won't be live. So uh, thank goodness for that. And uh, <laughs> hopefully all goes well. I'm sure you're going to do great. You got any, have you pre-recorded it yet? Or are you doing it tomorrow? No, I, I haven't done it yet. So uh, we'll see uh, what's in store. Hopefully you don't know. ask me about Mark Edward of Vlasic's play. <laughs> you can always just refer them to the podcast <laughs> if they have any questions. <laughs> uh, so, Speaking of Mark Edward Vlasic, we're going to get to him later. But on this week's episode, we give our prognosis on Kevin LeBanc being in Bob Bugner's doghouse. Try saying that 10 times fast, by the way. And whether he can claw his way out of it. We also I talk like the about... the dog reference there. <laughs> yeah, I'm so proud. <laughs> we also talk about the writing on the wall for the aforementioned Mark Edward Vlasic and his future with the Sharks team. Then we'll talk about the skater whose importance might be the most underrated on the Sharks in Nick Benino and why his job as third line center is so important for the team. Uh, before we hop into it, we wanted to give a quick San Jose Hockey Now congratulations to Doug Wilson, official inductee into the Hockey Hall of Fame. I have his jersey hanging up behind me. It will be there for a very long time. But um, not just him as, you know, just congratulations to him, not as just the general manager of the San Jose Sharks that we know and love, but just as the amazing hockey player he was before that as well. So, Shang, if you have any comments on Mr. Doug or congratulations in order from you personally, now is your time. Congratulations, Doug, and also congratulations for being in the rafters at Nick Flores' house. <laughs> the Raptors. <laughs> I'm not sure any... if they raised if they raised one for uh, 
for for Doug at SAP Center, it probably wouldn't be his Sharks jersey because he only played two years there. So I'm not sure what what they would raise. It, it might be uh, I don't know. <laughs> it might be that that perfectly coiffed hair, you know, uh, you know. So what of it going up uh, in a banner in the rafters? So. That's the first thing that I thought of. It's like the teal banner, and it has the exact same portrait that they used in his Hall of Fame induction, and it's just the flow. <laughs> Before we get into it again, uh, we're going to do a quick social media shout out. You can find the podcast on Twitter at SJHockeyNowPod. You can follow the network at HockeyPodNet. And you can find myself and all my irrational game day tweets at NickFloor underscore Shang. Where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Shang underscore Peng. Uh, you can find my Sharks work at San Jose Hockey Now and at NBC Sharks. All right, and just again, we always try to note the date for everyone who may be listening to this a couple days after it's been released, but we are recording this Wednesday night, November 17th, late Wednesday night here. It's beautiful. It's okay, uh, Nick. You probably don't need to record a date on this one. I don't think uh, Mark Edward Vlasic is joining the first pairing in the next week or so. Oh, damn, got him. (laughs) (laughs) You keep keep bringing up Mark Edward Vlasic, but we're supposed to start this with LeBanc, so... (laughs) We're going to kick it right off with the banker, or uh, Kevin Ovechkin is what he was called. I don't know if he's going to have that nickname much longer, but uh, Shang, I'm going to go ahead and let you get started with your thoughts, and then um, who knows, we'll see where it kind of goes from there. Yeah, well, um, you know, Jose Canseco had a brother named Ozzy Canseco. Um, You know, Sergey Fedorov had a brother in the league as well. So I guess the, you know, Alex, Kevin Ovechkin thing, you know, there, there may be some, uh, <laughs> something to that there. So <laughs> anyway, oh, no. though, with, with Kevin, uh, the big question, of course, uh, once again, it feels like an ages old question for Sharks fans, fans. Why can't he find his consistency? And <clears throat> of course, uh, his teammates haven't helped. Uh, his most frequent teammate this year is Nick Bonino, who has zero points. If you're unhappy about uh, Kevin's, I think, four or so, uh, you can look at Nick Bonino's stat line. But, of course, uh, neither has Kevin LeBanc's play helped his own cause. And if you look at a recent San Jose Hockey Now article, uh, we pointed out uh, just some of the uh, problems that he was having that Bob Bugner very, very, very clearly <laughs> Uh, 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 stated for us. And uh, one of the big ones was just sort of the detail errors. Um, And Bob specifically cited the penalty in Colorado. And it's not just that Kevin took a penalty. If you look at the way Bob broke it down, and my gift is on there, what happened? Uh, Bob said that Kevin was on the wrong side of the line. Kevin was supposed to be on on the other side of the red line, the side where if he, tu- if he touches it in, it's not an icing. Kevin was on a side where it would be an icing. Um, and, of course, Kevin lost the board battle. And then he tripped the guy after he got beat on the board battle. So it wasn't just the penalty. It was all of the stuff leading up to the penalty, too, that just uh, sort of, you know, it's, uh, Bugner sort of seemed like he had it, you know, with, with, with Kevin LeBanc there. Um, but anyway... Kevin LeBanc is so potentially important to the Sharks. He's clearly the most skilled guy in the bottom six. I think the idea of putting him down there, uh, besides the fact that maybe they like the chemistry in the top six with 
Meyer and Couture and Dolan, which we've seen manifest itself. Uh, mm -hmm. They were hoping that Hurdle and maybe Eklund and would, would take off Balzers, Barabanov. Obviously, Eklund didn't work out, but Barabanov has looked pretty comfortable next to Tommy Hurdle in the last half dozen uh, games or so. So the idea with LeBanc was to help put him down there on the third line and hopefully he could help Nick Benino a bit and Nick could help uh, Kevin LeBanc cover up some of the kind of the defensive spots in his game where where Kevin isn't quite as strong. And obviously it hasn't quite worked out yet because uh, like we said uh, at, at this recording uh, Nick Benino is still pointless and Kevin LeBanc just got shuttled off to the fourth line. Um, but I think the idea was that maybe that could create uh, for once in San Jose a strong third line. The last time the Sharks have had a strong third line was in 2018-19 when Joe Thornton centered Kevin LeBanc and Marcus Sorensen. Yep. And the Sharks had uh, Thornton the next year but this was a clearly fading Thornton at that point, 2019-20. And so that line couldn't replicate its success from the previous year. And then last year, uh, the Sharks had, for most of the season, Dylan Gambrell uh, as their third-line center. The same Dylan Gambrell who couldn't make the Sharks this year and was waived and claimed by... Oh, not waived, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, he, he was waived and no one picked him up. And then uh, Ottawa traded a seventh-rounder for him. Um, but... Anyway, uh, so it's been a little while since the Sharks have had a solid third line. And not coincidentally, the last time they had a solid third line, they made the playoffs. Um, so the question, of course, with LeBanc is, can he figure it out? And it's a very open question that I can't answer. Uh, it's a good question. It's a debate that I've had with some uh, readers on Twitter talking about if LeBanc is more a guy that is a complimentary guy. He shouldn't be the best guy on your line, even if it's just a third line. Uh, but he's a guy that, you know, can help you out with a lot of his skill, his playmaking, his shot, that sort of thing, his passing ability. But as sort of a complimentary guy on a line. Uh, last year, he had some success with Logan Couture and Evander Kane on the line. And on that line, LeBanc is clearly the third best player, but his skills uh, can maybe be accentuated more when you have other players kind of carrying the load a little more for him. Whereas a line with him and Benino, well, Kevin's really got to be the star of that line in some ways, at least on the offensive side. But to close the thought on that, because I really don't know how to answer that question, I know how important he can be. And if you look at uh, what kind of impact he have, he can have on the Sharks in a positive way in a third-line role, uh, look at what I wrote about him uh, in the game after Ottawa, the game they won uh, against Ottawa early in the season. He had a very good game. Bob Bugner called it, I think, the best 5-on-5 game that he's seen Kevin LeBanc play. So if you want a sense of what Bob wants out of Kevin LeBanc, what Kevin can do, uh, watch some of the clips from that game. I have some of the, the GIFs, highlights from that game in that story. Uh, but so can he figure it out though? You know, instead of being, you know, right now, what is, what is he? He's a guy who brings his A game one out of five games or something like that. Can he be more than that? Well, we don't know, but uh, I will say uh, just for what it's worth, Timo Meyer, uh, Timo Meyer, a team superstar now, uh, yeah. <laughs> was in Bugner's doghouse just as much as LeBanc over the last two years. And Timo managed, appears that Timo has sort of figured it out. The light bulb sort of uh, uh, sort of turned on there. And 
Can it happen with, with Kevin LeBanc? For sure it can. Kevin LeBanc is, we've seen, a very, very talented player. Um, it just hasn't quite clicked yet, uh, and especially disappointing, obviously, with the money he's making and sort of the expectations that come from that. And also, too, he's not a young player anymore. He's 26 now. He's a veteran now. He doesn't have that excuse that he had three years ago or four years ago or whatever, or even two years ago, you know? Uh, he doesn't have that anymore. Um, but... Uh, just uh, that that ray of light, though, it took a little while for Timo for it to click. Uh, and so maybe it can happen with Kevin. Yeah, and you think of the two players, uh, Timo and Kevin, on completely different levels of skill and talent, in a sense. You know, one being a first-round pick, and I think Kevin was a sixth, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so it could take longer for uh, Kevin LeBanc to have that light bulb go off in his head, like you said. Uh, but what we've seen with Timo Meyer. This, these first 15 games, or at least this first section of the year, has been utilizing his strengths to cover up any of his possible weaknesses. You know, he, he had a lot of flack for his inability to finish or his uh, physicality on the puck last year. He, he got a lot of uh, criticism from Brett Hedekin, specifically, you know, me watching the games. I'm not, you know, I don't get to talk to the scouts all the time, Shang. So I just get to listen to the broadcasters. Um but he, he got a lot of flack there in in the sense his finish wasn't as strong where it seems like he's when when Timo's on the ice he's outworking everybody all the time if he's going downhill and forechecking he's outworking everybody if he's backchecking he's faster than everybody he's just using his skill sets to accent his strengths and help cover up his weaknesses it right. doesn't seem as though Kevin LeBanc has worked on any of his strengths at all it seems like right. it's just the same guy year after year after year. So it, it feels like he's not really, I mean, I can't speak to it. I, I didn't do any off-season training with Kevin LeBanc. I can't tell you what he did or did not work on, but it just seems like no matter what, you're getting the same product. There's no evolution of Kevin, and that's what he needs. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't entirely agree with that. I think he's a much different player than I watched in 2017-18 uh, when yeah. I was covering the Golden Knights, and I would watch him, and a scout would tell me, oh, you know, there's, that, that's a bit of a softy right there. Uh, speaking of LeBanc going into a corner yeah. with the Ryan Reeves, I think that Kevin has grown in his game a lot. Um, Kevin at times is a very good four checker. Um, Kevin can be good at, at board battles. Um, and so, I, I, so I, I will disagree on that point with you, but what I will agree with you 100% is that a big difference with, with Hemo isn't that he got better offensively. I mean, he did get better offensively, but a lot of it is, and it's in the story that I wrote, and it's what everybody has said, and you can see it too. Timo is working everywhere on the ice, working on the back check. Uh, he's working in a neutral zone. Uh, Bob said uh, that in his mind, uh, the, one of the big differences with Timo is Timo realized that that working on defense was was just as important as anything. And if you work hard on defense, you get the puck back. So then you can have fun yeah. and go on offense. And maybe that hasn't quite clicked for uh, Kevin LeBanc yet. And if you see that play that, again, that Bob mentioned, that penalty that Kevin took, those details, you know, working hard to make sure you're in the right position uh, on, the, on the right side of the, of the red line, the center line. Mm-hmm. 
And if you're not there, to, then to not lose the board battle, or at least to make it a 50-50. And if you lose that that board battle, don't just stick. This that's probably the worst offensive end. You know, you just stick your stick out. You know, not move your feet. Stick your stick out and and trip hook the guy. Yeah. And that's that's probably the kind of the the, the killer there. You know, okay. Sometimes you can't get your feet in the right place. Okay. Sometimes you get beat in a board battle. That's gonna happen. But you don't have to put your stick out like that. You know, get yeah. your feet moving, uh, skate hard, catch up. You know, do your best to catch up. Or if you can't catch up to the guy with the puck, then cover the trailer coming from behind and let your defense cover, you know, cover the guy who's who's skating ahead with the puck. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the mental the mental side of it, I guess, that yeah. that that play kind of showed that that hasn't really quite and yes, it was Kevin LeBanks first game back from being COVID protocol. Some rustiness is expected, but I think that, yeah, like, like I mentioned that just sticking that stick out just like that is just, again, it's uh, emblematic of a, of a player, maybe not as mentally engaged with using uh, his 100% effort as much as he should, because instead of sticking that stick out again, get your feet moving, start playing defense you know it's not just about you know, I, I i write about this a lot and actually i wrote about this about timo meyer uh yesterday uh timo makes a makes a mistake in the offensive zone he passes it's a turnover and there's a gif of it in the story i wrote about timo and guess who's back on the back check to to prevent the puck from moving forward it's timo and so it's not just about the initial mistake you make uh that's going to happen it's how you react to that mistake. Yeah, you got to have that goldfish memory, and you got to be able to to clean up, like you said, those mental mistakes. And that's what it seems to boil down to with a lot of people with uh, consistency is like decision making. Right. Like you got to make the correct decisions and fully commit to those decisions. I feel like you, if you're able to make the correct decision more often than not, good things come to you know to in that sense. So. I think you're right. It's an open-ended question as far as whether or not uh, – I almost said Timo because I'm just so used to having Timo being in Bob's doghouse. But uh, whether or not Kevin can claw his way out, as I said earlier, of Bob Bugner's uh, doghouse. So I think everyone listening to this, and myself included, wants to continue to see Kevin Ovechkin uh, clap one-timers over there from the yes, face-off dot. Yes, uh, Kevin Ovechkin, don't be Brent Gretzky. Let's let's uh, let's pick it up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't say Brent Gretzky when you were making your comparisons. I was like, come on, Shang, I know you know that. <laughs> but moving to a uh, rather sour note, a, a bad brine essentially, Mark Edward Vlasic, and um, I I said in the introduction that the writing was on the wall for Mark Edward Vlasic, and it was not more apparent than the game against Minnesota. And it wasn't because of anything that was that, that he did, but it was because of yeah, what Bob Bugner well did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's what because uh, it's because of what Bob Bugner did, I think the day before or that morning where he said, uh, you know, Santeri Hatsuka was going in for either uh, Redeem Shimmick or Mark Edward Vlasic. That's a five million dollar difference between those two players. So and it's uh, uh yeah uh, even more between them and uh, and Hadika. <laughs> yeah, significantly. So um, the writing's on the wall for for Mark Edward, and the Sharks are in a very very tough situation with him. Uh, 
moving forward. So Shang, you, you got a nice little monologue here for the folks. Yeah, I wish we had the rights uh, to this song, uh, but it's too expensive. So you'll just have to bear with me singing a little bit. But it goes, hey, now, hey, now, the dream is over. <laughs> so, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. <laughs> Hashtag Shang's the yeah, songs 10 out of 10 every in week a, here. In a phantom zone in the bizarro world. But <laughs> anyway, though. Look, um, I spotlighted Vlasic in training camp as a player that I was watching closely. And mm -hmm. some listeners, readers were surprised by that because they had already given up uh, on Vlasic, I think. And hey, you guys weren't wrong. <laughs> but the reason why <laughs> I took that extra beat with, uh, with Mark Edward Vlasic is if you think about the Sharks and all their big contracts... If you if you can if you had the the ability to to transform any of those players back into their prime, if you you know genie can come to your life and you can bring back the prime Brent Burns, prime Eric Carlson, prime Mark Edward Vlasic, prime Logan Couture, you know who would you choose as a Sharks fan? And of course, Eric Carlson is the obvious answer. He's the most expensive guy with the most term. But I would actually counter, uh, my answer might be, I would think about this, but my answer might be Mark Edward Vlasic. And I would say Vlasic because of these guys, these four big contracts, he's the one who's declined the most. You know, he's the guy, you know, he's making $7 million per year. You know, what's he playing like now? He's playing like a $1 million, $1.5 million bottom pairing defenseman. Couture yep. uh, still looks like Couture. Uh, Burns still looks roughly like Burns. You know, maybe... Well, Burns is actually kind of a, a value guy. $8 million for a guy playing his minutes is actually reasonable value, even if he's not the 20-goal-scoring, you know, uh, crazy Brent Burns of the past. But uh, I will counter that. Player, what, what Burns has fallen off with with his offense, he has, in my opinion, his defense is significantly better than what we've seen the last two years. So... Take you know, take that just from what I've seen. He he's done a very good job, like you said, soaking up that time on ice and playing defense. So that's a, a, a argument that that we'll, we'll, we'll let's put a pin on that one. <laughs> I don't know if I quite quite agree with that, but I do agree that that Brent has been pretty good, and I don't think you're you're too worried about giving him eight million dollars right now. I don't think that's too big a deal. Correct. Even Carlson at eleven point five, he's not an eleven point five million guy, but. He still does a lot of good things offensively. We saw that goal he scored against uh, against the the Wild, um, and that's one of those goals that you look at and you compare it to the Sharkuda team that they're running out a week ago, right? And that's what skill does for your team. You have that one moment, that one second, right, where Kevin Fiala loses his stick behind the net. The guy coming down the point has that extra beat to shoot it. And who do you want doing it? Do you want it to be Eric Carlson or do you want it to be Jacob Megna? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, of course, the answer is obvious. But the point, though, is that that one moment, right, is what skill can do for you. Even if the rest of the game, they're not having the game of their lives, um, that one moment, you know, a guy like Carlson can put in the back of the net. And most a lot of uh, defensemen can't make a shot like that. Uh, so that that's a, again that's a that's a high end high end shot by him. He still has high end offensive ability. So maybe you know if you look at the the dollar amount of his contract, eleven point five. What's he playing at right now? Maybe he's playing at a six million. I don't know. You know, kind yeah. of a second pairing ish good offensive guy. Um, maybe. 
you know, again, though, so then mm -hmm. we do the math there. Vlasic is the worst value of all those guys. That's the, the point, uh, that Vlasic is indeed a shadow, you know, really a shadow of himself from or the shadow of who he was, you know, from being that Olympic uh, caliber defenseman and Olympic caliber defenseman once again for Team Canada. You know, I'm not talking about him being the number one defenseman on Team Austria. He's a uh, top six defenseman for Team Canada uh, to bottom pairing on the Sharks. And so in my mind, that's why it makes sense that if you could have one Shark back to full power or close, it might be Vlasic just because he's lost the most. And with that in mind, that's why I was watching him so closely in training camp because I had the thought that, well, you know, give, give this guy the benefit of the doubt just because he's been so great in the past. And sure, drink the Kool-Aid a little bit, but it's not even drinking the Kool-Aid. It's more about, okay, you, you have to give these guys a space, give them a chance. You know, that's, that's part of my job as a reporter, not to just kill them at, at, at every, at, you know, every, uh, at any bit of decline. Um, and so what, what they said about him getting more ice this summer to, to work out, uh, coming into San Jose a little bit earlier, Maybe, just maybe, Mark Edward Vlasic could find a sliver of his greatness and transform matchups for this team once again. You know, maybe be a second pairing defenseman. No one is saying that he needs to get back to being uh, Olympic, 2014 Olympian, uh, that caliber. But to even be a middle pairing guy would be making up or uh, get, regaining a lot of his value, right? A lot of that $7 million, right? Yeah. And then I then then I start to think, well, imagine what a good Vlasic, a good shutdown guy can do for the Sharks. You know, just think about how that transforms uh their entire defense and what it is right now. You could put Brent Burns back on offense, which is still despite his uh, his improved defensive game where I still think he's better at. Merrill Ferraro could be your secondary shutdown guy. Or he could share the load with Vlasic. And that's really where Mario, credit to him for playing way over his head the last couple of years. But that's probably really where he's at in his career. Let's be honest with ourselves. You know, he's a top-pairing guy on his team. You know, because guys have declined around him that weren't supposed to decline this quickly. It's not because Mario Farrell is a true, true top-pairing guy at this point. Um, you know, he's probably ideally a 3-4 guy a middle pairing guy uh, instead of this top pairing guy that he's forced to be in San Jose. And again, no discredit to him. I think he's done a great job with uh, the added responsibilities he's had to have. But again, so back to Vlasic though, like I said, and like you said, Nick, you know, the writing is on the wall. The dream is over. Um, I didn't like what I saw to begin the season. I didn't think he was awful. And I didn't necessarily think that, uh, going back to our podcast la last week, that a Ryan Merkley or Jacob Megla Megna or Nicholas Malash should replace him. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he was a little better than he was last year, and last year he was bad, so a little better than that, okay. A scout told me when I asked him about Vlasic's opinion early on that he likes to give vets at least three weeks before evaluating them, you know, let them get their feet moving a little bit, etc., etc., it's been more than a month since the beginning of the season. And, of course, uh, there's been uh, that time that Vlasic spent uh, along with a number of other players on, in COVID protocol. 
But I think all in all, though, you can't ignore the signs, you know, the writing indeed on the wall. Right now, there are four defensemen used ahead of Vlasic on the PK. Brent Burns, Merrill Ferraro, Eric Carlson, and Jacob Middleton. And to give you a sense of how crazy that is, for Vlasic to not be uh, top choice, even top uh, second choice defenseman on the PK. From his rookie year in 2006 to 07, uh, I'm sorry, his rookie year 2006 to 07 to 2012, Vlasic was a first choice PKer from the Sharks. From his rookie year, again, got to give uh, all the credit you can to, to Vlasic's career. He stepped in as a 19-year-old and was the Sharks' most used uh, PKer uh, on defense. 2012-13 was a little bit outlier. He was third behind uh, Douglas Murray and Brad Stewart in terms of his usage. But then in 2013 to 2020, uh, the most recent years, uh, he was back to being a first-choice PKer along with Justin Braun. And even last year, he was a second-choice guy behind uh, Burns and Ferraro. Now, where Vlasic is in his career, Bob Bugner is deciding between him or Redeem Shimmick to get scratched in favor of 20-year-old Santeri Hadaka. And I like Hadaka. I spoke a lot about him last week. I don't think Hadaka is some kind of prodigy on defense. Uh, again, on a better team, uh, a deeper team, you know, Hadaka might not see the light of day. He might not see the light of day uh, when, if and when Nikolai Kanijov comes back healthy, uh, at least with the Sharks. I mean, light of day with the Sharks. Um, so I, that's kind of where Vlasic is now. And so now when we talk about Vlasic, of course, you can't get away from his contract. I'm sure the Sharks would if they could. And it's, yeah, like... It's rough. It's, it's rough. <laughs> it's rough. I mean, I don't know how... Yeah, uh, you know, every year you, you, you come in, you try to give the guys the benefit of doubts, you know, something they did in the off season. Uh, etc. etc. You see some gains. You know, we definitely have seen that with with Eric Carlson. Some gains, right? I don't think uh, Eric Carlson is you know, is going to win a Norris this year, but I think he's been better than he was last year. Um, guy like Timo, it's a different story, of course, because Timo's much younger. But Timo Meyer obviously has made a huge leap from last year to this year. Uh, mm -hmm. Even a, even a guy like Brent Burns, you can say might be better this year than he was last year. But there's different. there could be different reasons for that. I'm not so sure if it's anything that Brent has done differently because uh, it's one thing we know about Brent Burns. You know, he's working his ass off to be the best hockey player he, he can be. There's never a question about that with, with, uh, with Brent. And uh, even if you want to look at other cases, right, we have Martin Jones in Philadelphia, right, who's writing some kind of uh, rebound Vezina story or something like that. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> but anyway, the, the, the point is that guys can come back and, and be better than they were the year before. Um, and I think with, with Vlasic, you're hoping for that. And I'm not saying that he's done as an NHL player and that he can't help you anymore. He had a nice game last night. He can still be a useful, good player. Um, but is he going to come back to restore, I guess, a lot of his value, even be a middle-pairing guy? Uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think so at this point. I have a lot of trouble seeing that. Um, seeing him myself, seeing how the team uses him, and how little, frankly, that they trust him, um, and so it's 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 hard it's 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 hard to see. And so um, his contract is is his contract, and 
that with uh, Evander Kane's contract and what they're going to do about that and the Martin Jones buyout. Yeah, that's good. It's going to be uh, a sticky situation for uh, the Hall of Famer, Doug Wilson, to <laughs> navigate through. Yeah, they're in uh, they're sailing some rough seas over in San Jose as far as cap goes, and we've known about that for a while. We've talked about it before on multiple episodes. Um, when I watched uh, Joel Erickson Eck score his goal, which was great stick handling, by the way, from, from him. He, that was amazing. Amazing stick handling. I knew who he, who he deked out. I didn't have to look at the number. I knew it was 44. I knew it was Vlasic. And he just looked so lost out there. And it's been like that all year. I don't have any like quantitative numbers that can tell you. It's just the eye test. The coaches see it. Like you said, the, the deployment's there. He's not trusted in, in, in clutch situations. Sharks have the best penalty kill in the NHL right now. And he's not on it. So be it coincidence or be it you don't have your your worst defenseman out there or arguably one of your worst. I mean, if you're if you're contemplating scratching him for a rookie, I would say he's one of your worst defensemen on the team. Uh, playing at a fractional value, like you said, a million dollars, and I think a million and a half is being a little generous. Um, it, it's tough. It, it's oof, four years. Oh my Lord. That's a presidency Shang. That is a president's <laughs> terms worth of contract. I so can't deal with will that. will be done with plastic when Trump comes back to office. I'm editing that <laughs> out. That. <laughs> <laughs> because that actually. <laughs> Don't fucking say happen, that. <laughs> that is like my worst nightmare. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to kill Vlasic too much on the Erickson Echo. Actually, what impressed me about that is how Erickson Echo kept it away from uh, Tommy Hurdle there because yeah. Hurdle uh, came to help out Vlasic, and Erickson Echo was able to keep it away from Hurdle, too. Yeah, that's um, why I said it was like great stick handling there from Erickson Echo. Yeah. But it's just, I knew who was playing defense. I just knew. But, um, yeah, so I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to be too down on him on that one. Um, but uh, one thing that did was interesting. I just double checked on this. Uh, Vlasic did uh, play more on the PK yesterday. Um, he took more. Uh, he took actually what should have been or what has been Carlson's time on it. So I wonder if the coaches are going to give him a last stab at that. Uh, we'll see. I mean, you you um, think he's earned but, it, right? Like as as bad as he's played the last two seasons, and as. As much as Sharks fans would hate it, he's been doing this forever. Well, no, I, I don't think it's for that reason. I mean, I think with, with Valiant defense, like we have to be very careful uh, uh, with it. Um, um, you know, just 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 portions of it. Just an example I would give you is Eric Carlson, for example. Right? We've yeah. seen a lot of issues with his de- defense on a rush uh, last year, especially. Right. Um, and then so when, when you put him on a PK, people are howling. Why are you putting Eric Carlson on a rush, et cetera, et cetera? Well, you think about what, what, what Eric Carlson's weakness is on a rush and how that's not really exposed on a PK because on a PK, yeah, you're not usually – you know, defense gets set. You're, you, don't, you don't need to deal with two-on-one counterattacks or quick counterattacks mm-hmm. uh, uh, too often on when you're killing penalties. And so Eric Carlson's ability to skate is still very present going forward. And what do you have to do on a PK? You have to skate forward and pressure people a lot when you're playing defense yeah. and 
so that's why that's why it made perfect sense for for me to to put a Carlson back on a PK because I think that with what his strengths and weaknesses in his game are, uh, his weaknesses aren't greatly exposed by being on a PK. Not so much uh, on the physical side, yes, on a PK, but you have Middleton to help with that, and also too, this is a different age in defending in hockey where. You know, you're not clearing out people in the front the way that you're supposed to. You're uh, you're more trying to wall people off. You know, use your yeah, body. Yeah, it's like a box out from NBA. Yeah, you know? yeah, like a box out, right? And Burns does that really well. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that he's been very, very underrated with throughout his career that people always forget when they talk about how uh, he can't defend. And that's again, you look at the subtleties. There are some areas where Brent Burns is not good on defense, and there's some areas mm -hmm. where he's actually quite good. And he actually has always been good, at least as long as I've covered him since 2018. Um, so the same goes with, with Vlasic. It's not a legacy thing. And so in that kind of the half ice of the PK, um, I think some of, of Vlasic's um, weaknesses are covered up. Uh, like Carlson, he's going to deal with the rush as much, right? He can kind of yeah. defend in a smaller space. Uh, uh, you know, he can use kind of his 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 stick in a, in a small space, and that should be something that Vlasic can still do very well. And last year, even even though he was starting to lose that that PK, uh, they 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 weren't depending on him on a PK as much as they used to. You know, like I said, a Burns and Farrell were were ahead of him PK. The Sharks PK was still pretty good last year, um, and yeah. that's that, that's so that's Vlasic as your second pairing defenseman there. So again. You know, if he was as bad as as people want to make him out to be, he wouldn't even be in the league anymore. Uh, there are some things that Vlasic can still do reasonably well at an NHL level, and there's a reason why he keeps playing. And it's not just as simple as, oh, look, the guy can skate faster than him, you know, Santeria Hadika, and that's yeah. a guy that needs to play over Vlasic. There's a lot more to defense than just being being faster or bigger than the next guy. And there's still stuff that Vlasic can offer with like we talked about before I think last week with his hockey brain and yeah. so anyway I'm curious though about that decision and to see if that's a trend uh, uh, where where Vlasic does start to get a little more uh, PK time uh, or if it's not maybe it's just a one game thing maybe maybe you know, situ situational there uh, we know that, that Carlson likes to play the PK too he's actually said it in interviews and he mm -hmm. was playing it and the Sharks PK was doing great so it's not like it was it's not like Carlson at least uh, has been obviously hurting the PK in, in, in any sort of way um, so anyway that's just something to monitor uh, going forward Hey guys, we just wanted to take a quick second to thank this week's sponsor, DraftKings. The NHL season is underway and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-timer from the point, a deflection, doesn't matter at all. However they light the lamp, you guys win. And don't worry if DraftKings Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet. DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. It's really simple, folks. All you have to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code THP. 
SGPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, and uh, like we said before, the, the situation with both Kevin LeBanc and uh, Mark Edward Vlasic is going to be something that you... Uh, covering the Sharks is going to be monitoring moving forward, and us as content consumers will be also uh, waiting patiently on. So, is that my job? I'm monitoring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hockey monitor. What a sad uh, job description. That <laughs> <laughs> made me feel bad. <laughs> yeah. Moving into uh, our other topic. Paul our our f- <laughs> hockey Sorry, monitor Shang Pang. <laughs> uh, moving on to our next player, uh, our topic of discussion, Nick Benino. Now, Nick Benino's gone scoreless. We've talked, we've said it, I think, three times already this episode. Nick Benino's gone scoreless uh, this entire season. It's been the worst slump of his career, I believe. He he uh, he it said. It's not the worst a, slump of his career, but uh, go 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 on. <laughs> he felt like it was the worst slump. You you literally had a full article on. No, that's not the worst slump of your career. This was the worst slump. Like, but it feels as if it's the worst slump of his career. Jeez, Shang, always auto-correcting me all the time. Well, you know, um, uh, I, I, I get a chance to do it with you. I, I, I'm not on this road trip, so I didn't get a chance to auto-correct Nick Benino. Uh, Nick, actually. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, if I'm not correcting that Nick, I'm correcting this Nick. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, for, for what it's worth, though, just in, if you guys don't know, uh, Nick Benino in his second year in the league, 2010-11, uh, um, jumping a lot around from... Anaheim to I think their HL affiliate was Syracuse, so he played just 26 games in Anaheim that year. Uh, he was pointless the whole, the whole season. So <laughs> 26 not there games. yet. So yeah, so uh, 15 game slump is nothing uh, compared to being score- scoreless the entire season. Yeah, if you go 27 games without a point, Nick, there's gonna be a fucking <laughs> problem, man. <laughs> like, so so. The issue so far, Shang, and we, we kind of discussed it prior to recording this, has been uh, the public perception of Nick Benino's job description, it seems like. What the Sharks brought him in to do, right? So let's let's rewind really quick. Let's take a look last year. Third line center opening night was... No Gregor. Exactly. And then it kind of filtered down into, there was like a combination of... I think it was Dylan Gambrell who ran a lot of the the three C there, if I remember it correctly. It was Dylan Gambrell. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dylan ones. Gambrell. You you mentioned that earlier uh, when we talked about Kevin LeBanc's uh, production or lack thereof last season was because oh you know look at his teammates or look at his line mates now he's a guy and who just got traded. I will say Dylan Gambrell didn't have the benefit of getting Kevin LeBanc last year, so yeah. so I'll give Dylan some credit there. Nick has at least had Kevin LeBanc to play with. So yeah, so. The public perception has been, oh, it's not a third line center's job to score. Like that's not what his job. He he's supposed to just be do Philip Deneau. You know that's what Benino's supposed to be is Philip Deneau. And like <laughs> Shane, why don't you go ahead and take it from there? 
Yeah, well, uh, first, yeah, uh, first point is that Philip Deneau actually played second line center, I believe, for the Canadians last year, and Deneau, Deneau is actually a pretty good offensive player. Uh, mm -hmm. Last year, he kind of slumped 24 points in 50 games, but the previous two seasons, uh, he had 47 points, and he had 53 points. And if that guy is playing third line center for you, your team is really fucking deep. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, that's, that's just the fact fact of the matter. Like he's he's the guy. He's I, he's the ideal for a third line center. Um, yeah. But of course, most teams can't afford to pay. He's making five point five million in LA now. Uh, most teams can't afford to pay a third line center that quite that much money. Um, but anyway, point is though that. Yes, Kevin. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Nick Bonino's uh, job description is to defend. It's to take defensive zone faceoffs away from Tommy Hurdle and Logan Couture. It's to win faceoffs. It's to PK. And Nick Bonino has done all that stuff pretty well. Bing. If, yep. I think. Yeah. I think his faceoff winning percentage is. Uh, I got to double check that, but. Uh, well into the the 50s uh, this year, so that's that's great. And the Sharks PK is number one in the league. Now, obviously, that's not all Nick Benino, but Nick has obviously hasn't hurt the the PK. He's helped the PK, but he also has to score too. Um, at least if you want the shark, if you're all about uh, tanking for Shane Wright, this is great. This development of Nick Medino, uh forgetting how to <laughs> score is exactly what the doctor ordered. The Sharks oh, sending no. William Eklund back to Sweden. This is also good if you're all about you know tanky sinking for Shane, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, so if, if that's if that's what you're thinking, but if you want the Sharks to make the playoffs, so that's what you're thinking, and that's how I. I I'm not going to say I want the Sharks to make the playoffs. That's not what I'm saying. But um, when I cover the team, I cover a team, and I'm thinking of them as a competitive entity and as trying to win and trying to make the playoffs. You know, until I see otherwise, until I see that it's a total tank. And, uh, you know, sending back Eklund maybe was an indication of something like that, but that's a whole other story. Uh, I think that's been referred to as the stealth tank. Yes, <laughs> but uh, they they still but they still brought in uh, Nick Benino um, at some cost and a, a guy with a lot of accomplishments uh, on his ledger, two Stanley Cups, um, presumably uh, uh, presumptively to be uh, the third line center. And so when people say he wasn't brought in to score, um, again that's that's just completely wrong. And just to illustrate that, what is expected of a third-line center? I was curious, and I look back at the last 12 Stanley Cup finalists, and there are third-line centers. And I picked the last 12 because that goes back to 2016. And in 2016, of course, uh, that's when the San Jose Sharks uh, made the final. Um, so anyway, the last 12 Stanley Cup finalists and they're their line center. And I took some of some of this. Uh, I might have a couple names wrong. So if I have a couple names wrong, uh, please uh, correct me. Um, but I have it as uh, Gord and Katakaniemi last year. Tampa Bay, Montreal. Uh, 2020, uh, Gord uh, versus Foxa in Dallas. 2019. Bozak in St. Louis versus Coyle in Boston. 2018, 
uh, Lars Eller, Washington, versus Cody Eakin of the Vegas Golden Knights. 2017, I have uh, Kelly Yarncroak Yarn of the Predators versus Nick Menino of the Penguins. And in 2016, uh, Chris Tierney versus, once again, uh, Benino. So what I was curious about was what, how did these guys contribute in the regular season? I didn't use a postseason. Uh, maybe I should have used a postseason because maybe that's a little more accurate toward their contribution uh, in the playoffs. Uh, just for yeah, example, but you got to get I, there first. <laughs> yeah, you got to get there first. That's an excellent point. And uh, I do know that, for example, Tierney, for example, had a much better playoff in 2016 than he had in a regular season. Yeah. But I just was curious, just on average, what does the Stanley fi Cup finalist expect from a from the third line center, or what should we expect from a Nick Benino? Um, and of course, you might laugh. The Sharks, the 2022 Sharks, in the finals. You know, ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's that's a fair fair point. But again, once again, I'm going to judge this team as a competitive entity, and they've brought in this uh, very decorated veteran to be their third line center. And so, what should what sort of the ideal at least? What should the Sharks hope from him? And so doing some of, some of the math here, uh, I did. Uh, I just uh, counted up all of their regular season points, and versus the, the the number of games that they played, and all these these twelve guys combined, uh, they they combined for a 0 .42 points per game average in a regular season. And obviously, some guys are a little higher on the scale than others. Uh, for example, you have Bozak with 38 points in 72 games in 2018-19. Uh, you have Eller with uh, 38 and 81 games in 2017-18. You have Bonino himself, uh, 29 points in 63 games in 2015-16. Uh, and then you have guys on the lower end of the scale, like uh, Foxa, uh, 20 points in 66 games in uh, the 2020, 2019-19. I'm sorry, 2020, I'm getting all the years mixed up now. 2019-20, right. Yeah, 2019-20. Mm -hmm. uh, you have uh, Tierney, actually, with 20 points in 79 games in 2015-16. So that's sort, of the, that's sort of the low and the high of that scale. But the average here is 0.42 points per game, which comes out to 34 points in an 82-game season. Now, uh, Nick, uh, I don't know how good you are with math, but what is Nick Benino's 82-game pace for points right now? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I think I'm going to know what you're Did I do it right? That, I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> I, I, I believe you're right. And so, okay, I'm not I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to uh, stop um, uh, dunking uh, on Nick. Yes, uh, yeah, uh, dunking on, on either Nick, be it uh, a Floor or Benino. Um <laughs> But the point is that the, the bar for your ideal third-line center is, is pretty high with its scoring. Yes, you know, uh, you're not expected to score 50 points uh, as, as a third-line center. Indeed, I think Bob Menino said, said something to that effect uh, yesterday. Um, but uh, if you can score 30 points, that's pretty much normal and expected. 20s mm -hmm. on the low end, and if you get up to 40, no one here is up to 40, but some of them were at that pace, though. You know, Bozak, 38 and 72. Gord, Yanni Gord last year, 36 points in 56 games. Uh, so those are those are uh, a pretty – actually, Gord's pace would have been 50, I think, over over an entire season. Um, oh, yeah, but that's Tampa. 
that's Tampa, right? Uh, but the the point though is that uh, that Benino was brought here to score. Let's make no mistake about it. He was not brought in to score a lot, yes, but he was brought in to score and help out with the scoring and to score a lot more than say a Dylan Gambrell did. Dylan Gambrell, I think, uh, was ten points last year, something like that, in fifty or so games. Granted, Gambrell did had even less help than than, than Benino has, and also Gambrell didn't get any power play time either. Um, but for 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 Nick to keep his job and really to keep his reputation around the league, you know, uh, let's say the Sharks kind of fall off the map this season, and Nick Menino is going to be a perfect guy to trade at the trade deadline. I mean, that very well could happen at this rate still. But if he keeps up his scoring rate, nobody's going to trade trade much of anything for him. Um, so I I I I think we have to be careful when he say. I guess to close out here that Nick Benino wasn't brought here to score. Yes, he was. Uh, he was brought in to help with the, the, the scoring, bring some secondary scoring, um, help make sure that the team wasn't like it was last year where it was a one-line team for a lot of the season. You know, Katora line was hot earlier in the season. Tommy Hurdle got hot in the second half of the season. Uh, so far this season, uh, good news for the Sharks fans, uh, both Katora and Hurdle have sort of been going at the same time. Great. Uh, you need a third line. Yep. And once again, there's no coincidence that the last time the Sharks made a playoffs was the last time they had a good third line, uh, which was Joe Thornton. And Thornton had, I think, 52 points that year. Um, so that's Jeez. a pretty nice total for a, for a third line center there. Um, so, yeah, uh, once again, uh, do not excuse Nick Benino for not scoring. He was brought here to score. Um, and hopefully... He picks it up, and all is forgiven if he can uh, get to a point four two points per game for the last sixty seven points uh, games of the season. So, <laughs> and in regards to Nick Benino's uh, lack of scoring so far this year, or or a complete goose egg essentially, I have one really quick shout out. I said this yesterday. I tweeted this out. Andrew Cogliano is the ultimate team player. The <laughs> yeah, ultimate that was pretty team cool. player. <laughs> The Sharks are for for those wondering what I'm referencing. The uh, Minnesota Wild had pulled their goaltender. Andrew Cogliano had a wide open four by six by probably. I mean, he was probably a good twelve feet away from any Minnesota player, and he's looking for Nick Benino to pass the puck to, so his man can finally get on the score sheet and break the what what Nick feels has been the worst slump of his career. <laughs> And he doesn't just do it once. He does it every single time he got the puck. Now, the Sharks were up by more than one goal. You know, Cogliano's not dumb. He, he's a situational thinker. He knows right. what he's supposed to do in that situation. If they were only up by one goal, Cogs is throwing that on net he's any day it. of the week. <laughs> he's sinking that, okay? But the Sharks had a multi-goal lead with, like, less than 30 seconds left. He's looking for his homeboy Bones over there to try to score the goal. And... <laughs> I, I, I literally, as I tweeted out that that was like the most awesome thing that I had seen, I had seen multiple tweets after that were like, Cogliano, what the fuck are you doing? It's like, he's being a bro, okay? Let him be a bro, okay? I love to see that on football one day where like Ezekiel Elliott is, is chugging toward the, you know, toward, uh, uh, for a touchdown. and But he has Tony Pollard on his fantasy team. And so all of a sudden he, <laughs> he laterals it to Tony Pollard. <laughs> 
I would love that because Tony Pollard is spot starting because Aaron Jones is out with an MCL sprain right now for me. So I would love for that to happen this weekend. Shang, let's manifest that really quick. Um, I, I completely forgot what my other point was for Nick. Benet oh, yeah. My other one was about his power play presence. He is still done. I mean, in the beginning of the year for the Sharks, he was very, very well. Uh, he played very well net front, right? It was like Jasper Weatherby and Nick Benino for for net still front is, presence, yeah. and it's the, they're still the guys. They're yeah, still they're doing a great him. job. How he can't seem to get an assist in that position, <laughs> I have no idea. But that's well, the in exact his position, role. It really is a position to 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 get that last touch for the goal, really, because uh, yeah. you know the shot goes from or the, the the pass comes from the wall to the point to the front of the net. <laughs> Yeah, sort of the yeah, sort of the idea there. But, um, but my final point, uh, if uh, if you uh, unless you have uh, more to say about no, that uh, was just it. I just Nick. I'm just it's the most interesting slump for right now across the entirety of the Sharks team right now. I can say that for sure. But I don't foresee it continuing past 20 games. That's my bold prediction. Nick Benino <laughs> will get a point before the 20th game. So I, I'll close with with this uh, thought myself. Um, if you say Nick Mino wasn't brought here to score, um, then you are condemning the Sharks team. The Sharks team is not going to be any good uh, or isn't going to be playoff good because who's going to score from that secondary role then? They have nobody to fill that role. Jasper Weatherby, I don't think, is ready for it. Who else are you going to put in there? Noah Gregor again? Uh, you, Sasha Chimilevsky? Uh, Scott Reedy, you know, we're going down down to the minor leagues now. So yep. they have nobody there for that job. So you absolutely need Nick Menino to stop sc to start scoring, not 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 just so he can, uh, you know, get away from being the subject of Andrew Andrew Cogliano's charity. <laughs> 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 not so he can just get off the Schneid, but if you want, the, if you if if you think of the Sharks as a, if you think of these Sharks as a good team, then that includes a productive third line, and yep. if there is no productive third line then this Sharks team isn't a good team. It just can't be. Uh, it, very rarely do teams make the playoffs uh, with just two good lines or just one good line or whatever. It's going to be three good lines. And your fourth line you know, needs to be good in different ways. Fourth line, you don't need it to score. You need to do other things. That's usually the formula. But your top three lines, they need to be able to score. Yep. Got to produce. Got to produce. Got to bring in the stats. And speaking of stats, it's time. We're, we're approaching the hour. We're approaching the end of the hour here. And so uh, we're going to button up this podcast, this episode at least. Uh, we're going to close it off with our Sport Logic stat of the week. Uh, Shang and I have looked through a couple of different really need, options. need like a sound effect for that. Yeah, Sport Logic stat of the week. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. We need to get it, get, get it, get it brought to you by somebody, maybe by Sport Logic. Yeah, Sport Logic. Feel free to sponsor this section of the episode. Brought to you by Sport Logic. So get the yeah, double that would be in there. very very nice. Or brought to you by Colgate. This this uh, this this podcast is not sponsored by Colgate. Um. So our Sport I would Logic read off stat stats of the week. about plaque. Yeah, we'll we'll rattle off how uh, dementia is directly related to uh, healthcare of your teeth. By the way, so uh, make sure you're taking care of those gums. Quip, you know what? Quip needs to get at us. Like, come on now. 
I know enough about dementia to know that it starts in the jaw. So, like, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> How did this get here? <laughs> okay, we're reeling it back in, folks. Sport Logic stat of the week. For those of you that don't know what it is, uh, Shang and I pick a not random stat that the Sharks are currently producing as of this day that we previously said, 11-17, Wednesday. Uh, and this week, we decided to focus on something that has been um, a, t- a, you know, a subject, a topic as of late for the Sharks team, something we continue to see pop up, not only from the players and the coaches, but from the broadcasters, from the 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 head man, the like the couch managers on Twitter, everyone's talking about it. It's the identity of this team, and we've focused solely on four check chances. Now, per Sport Logic, we're going to bring you two different sets of stats here. We're going to talk about uh, the preview for this coming uh, this Thursday's coming game against St. Louis, and then we're going to talk to you about where the Sharks were exactly a week ago uh, prior to going into the game for against Winnipeg. So. We're going to start with the present. Currently, right now, as of today, the Sharks sit at 16th. That's dead middle of the pack there. uh, In four-check chances at even strength at 2.7 per game. And like I said, that's exactly middle of the pack for the NHL. And this reflects what the Sharks have been talking about in getting back to their identity. Uh, Continuing to get pucks deep and generate chances off the forecheck. That has been their bread and butter on that nice little four-game winning streak to start the year. Now we're going to rewind one week ago. Prior to the Winnipeg Jets game, the Sharks were ninth in the NHL at 3.1 forecheck chances per game at even strength. You might think that uh, uh, you know a, a difference of 0.4 doesn't matter that much, but it does when the league average is been staying at around 2.9 between 2.8 and 2.9 with the top end being at 4.3 and if that's where you're making your money if that's where you're scoring the majority of your goals because if you look at the surrounding stats for the sharks uh rush chances bottom three in the nhl cycle chances bottom 10 in the nhl uh rebound chances very good obviously uh, but that's generated off the forecheck the majority of the time or off the power play if you're not able to score off the rush, and if you're not able to score Pete DeBoer uh, style off the cycle, you need to excel in your offense in a specific spot. It's been the forecheck. It's dropped seven spots in seven days. That's an average of one spot a day for those keeping track at home. But it doesn't bode well for the offense. So that's something that... Um, the sharks again going through their charcuterie. Maybe it's a, a you know a byproduct of of that that issue, the COVID protocol that happened with the sharks over the last ten days. Um, but they need to get back to establishing their identity as a team. We saw them do that against Minnesota um, with great team defense and allowing. I think the sharks actually scored more off the rush than they did yeah, off yeah, the forecheck. Yeah, um... The, in terms of the, the team getting back to its identity, I think they did a good job of that defensively against Minnesota. Yeah. But offensively, uh, maybe not so much uh, because what they scored uh, on offense uh, wasn't off of that forecheck, wasn't off of getting pucks in deep, which is what they want to do. 
And I know that's uh, boring hockey. But once again, if you think about the Sharks as a competitive team that wants to make the playoffs, or you want them to make the playoffs, then you need the team to play to its strengths. And its strengths its strength offensively potentially is off the forecheck. We've seen mm -hmm. some of that this year. Um, we haven't seen it so much in other areas, especially off the cycle, I think. Um, and so in that case, then, uh, you want them to su succeed in this, in this area that they're supposed to be strong at. And so hopefully uh, they can start to turn that around against the St. Louis and on this upcoming homestand and start to kind of set their five-on-five -five offense uh, back right. Uh, but again, to their credit, though, uh, defensively, they were pretty strong against Minnesota. And so that is also another big part of their team identity. Uh, and uh, and uh, hopefully that continues. Yeah, and just as a quick note here, Shang, the, uh, the game against Minnesota, uh, uh, per sport logic, they only had one four-check chance, zero against Colorado. Um, but if it's any sign moving forward, the last time they faced St. Louis, they were able to generate three four-check chances, which is slightly above where they're at. So if they can continue with that recipe, they can find success. Great right. team defense down the middle and generating chances off the forecheck. Right, and not to get too St. Louis-focused here, um, but St. Louis does not defend the forecheck particularly well at 5-on-5, five five, and so that might be an area for the Sharks to take advantage of. Yeah, and I will I will note uh, for those listening, we are hyper-focusing on the St. Louis stat, or sorry, uh, yeah, the St. Louis against stat because they're right here in front of us currently. Um, but these are things to look forward to for the rest of the year for the next four to five games to see how the Sharks can continue to use those four check chances. And I'm sure we'll probably tweet out something kind of keeping you guys updated along these next couple games on how they've moved up. Maybe that's something we can introduce to you guys on Twitter or, or something. Down. Chang, why? <laughs> oh, <laughs> we're talking about Kevin LeBanc and Mark Edward of Lossing in this episode. <laughs> we're supposed to end on a good note, Chang. <laughs> how? <laughs> by talking about our new spot no I'm kidding <laughs> all righty I think that uh Colgate, I think that's pretty fresh maker yeah <laughs> I think that's gonna wrap it up for us this week um <laughs> again quick shout out to Timo Meyer for just being the team MVP and absolutely backpacking this the team, team at times MVP? yeah exactly he legitimately, really quick, a game, the game against Minnesota. The Couture to Ferraro goal was only capable, was only able to exist because of Timo Meyer's ability to be great. Draw two defenders in and then get the pass off to Logan Couture. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. A, uh, dare I say it, uh, Owen Owen breakout like season. Oh, baby. That's, that's good company. That's good company. So. But I think that's going to do it for us this week. Make sure uh, you check out any and all products, articles. Check out the sponsors, actually, on SanJoseHockeyNow.com. We actually have new sponsors on SanJoseHockeyNow.com. Uh, so make sure you go over there, take a look. It's Extra Hour Training and Kathy's Power Skating. Make sure you yep. go take a look at those sponsors yeah, and see what they have. Guys. Yeah, those guys are awesome. 
Exactly. So we got to give love where it's due. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, if you're if you guys are interested, uh, uh, Kathy's uh, power skating. Uh, uh, Kathy is a. I gotta look. Look. I don't. I don't want to mess up her intro. But basically, if you, if you want your uh, children to learn skating and specifically hockey skating, there's nobody better than Kathy. Uh, she's trained uh, with, or she's trained uh, NHL players like Joe Pavelski and Kevin LeBanc. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all too, she works with all ages, all levels uh, to pr- improve uh, their uh, hockey uh, people or kids uh, their hockey skating. And extra hour training is um, run by uh, her husband Randy, and it's a off ice hockey training facility. So anything you wanna you wanna I guess uh, work on with hot with with your hockey skills, uh, be it with. You know they have synthetic ice there. That's great. I've been to the facility, um, and so you can you can you can work on your stick handling in small areas. That's all the rage now. With I guess with with with, with coaching, uh, with hockey skills to 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 hone your skills in kind of small areas of uh, of uh, especially with synthetic ice because it's hard to get you know actual ice, and that that's supposed to set you up for the real deal. You know when you when you're out there uh, playing a five-on-five game and the pressure's coming at you, well, you have what you kind of uh, uh, have practiced and worked on in the, on the on the small ice to to lean to lean to, and so anyway, extra hour training is uh, great for that. And anyway, check out uh, check out their websites, Kathy's Power Skating and Extra Hour Training. And I apologize if my descriptions for either of them weren't one hundred percent right. I, this is all off of memory, uh, but I'm glad that you brought them up because uh, they're good people. And they run uh, great businesses here, and they're local too. Uh, they're, they're both local to San Jose. Uh, Kathy uh, teaches a lot of uh, her hockey skating out out of uh, Solar for America Shark Ice, and Extra Hour Training is located in San Jose, uh, less than a five minute drive away from Shark Ice. You heard it there. And if you want to go check out the website, you can always go to SanJoseHockeyNow.com and click their uh, their logos on the right hand side as you scroll down. And uh, feel free to give them give them the love, give them that San Jose love that we all know and have come to appreciate. So that's going to do it for us this week, folks. Uh, make sure you continue to stay stay subscribed. We're going to be significantly more interactive here within the next coming weeks, um, especially on Twitter. So. Just stay on the lookout for that. Make sure you all stay safe and stay hydrated.